Today on Blue 58, if the Packers are going to treat this season like it's just for evaluation, we should too. It's preseason week 12, folks. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. If you're a longtime listener, you know that preview episodes are sometimes a struggle for me. Not because I don't like doing them. I do. It is fun, but it's a challenge to basically try to digest an entire opposing team in just a a day or two, depending how long I I have for prep time, and then present it in a meaningful way, and then all that kind of goes away just a couple days later. It's not really an evergreen sort of unfolding story. It's a lot of work for something that's only relevant for a short period of time. And it's tough. It's been tough historically, as long as we've done this podcast, to deliver what I think is something valuable to the audience in the time that we have to really talk about the opposing team and in the scope of the preparation time that we have to do that. This season has added an additional challenge to that because I think it's pretty clear that while the Packers, I think, are trying to win games, winning is not necessarily the priority here. And on top of that, things have been just so disjointed for the Packers on offense and on defense that it's hard to talk about them in a way that makes sense for most traditional previews. Think about how we do it most of the time. Ideally, you want to kind of talk through an overview of your opposing team, their defense, their offense, and how the Packers match up with both sides of the ball. You get a a feel for, just look at this week, the, the Los Angeles Rams defense. How are they going to stop Aaron Donald? How are they going to attack that opposing defense? Where are the weak spots that they can probe? Normally, that's a really good question. Some really important questions. And if you were going into a game really focused on on making sure you got the wins because you're trying to build toward the postseason and you thought you had a realistic shot of beating any team on any given Sunday, you'd want to explore that because you want to sit down on Sunday whenever the game kicks off and have an idea of what you're looking for. What should we be expecting the Packers to do and how do they execute within that context. But the Packers have been so bad on the execution front, on offense and on defense, that there's really almost no point in talking about how they match up with an opposing team. The focus, week in and week out, almost has to be on the Packers. And as Brian Gutekun said in his press conference this week, we're really talking all evaluation here. We're talking about how the Packers are going to look over the, the the last 10 games of the season. We're going to talk about how Jordan Love is playing. We're going to talk about how other people are helping or not helping Jordan Love play. But the focus is really on the Packers. And like we talk about every year in the early portions of the season, we're, we're trying to get to know this team. Except that process is going to take the entire year. It's going to be all about getting to know the Packers. So if we look at it that way, the entire rest of the season almost works out to be like preseason. They do keep score. The games count, well, especially count for the Packers draft position, but the wins and losses aren't really the point. What are we looking for from the Packers? That's how we do it in the preseason. What do we want to see from the Packers this week? So I think that's how we're going to do previews basically from now on. What are we looking for from the Packers this week? Got a few few things to look at this week. Some of them, one of them in particular, in the wake of this week's Rasul Douglas trade. So let's just talk about that one first. We'll start on defense for once. Usually we start on offense. Let's start about on talking about defense. 
we got to see what the Packers do at cornerback here. And we got to see what the Packers cornerbacks do in response to being more in the spotlight, even more in the spotlight than they had been with Rasul Douglas out of the picture. I think in a vacuum, Jair Alexander is a better player than Rasul Douglas. But this year, I think Douglas was was better than Alexander so far this year. How does Jair Alexander respond being the only, I guess really the only reliable veteran player in the secondary with respect to Darnell Savage? How does he carry that load? What does the rest of his season look like? Can he bounce back after a somewhat disappointing start to the year? And how do other guys step up in Douglas's now permanent absence? Carrington Valentine, now's the time, buddy. I mean, if you've got anything that you want to do for the remainder of the season, there's going to be plenty of opportunities here. You might as well try to make the most of it. Jumping over to the offensive side of the ball, my the thing on the top of my watch list is the opening script. We've talked, maybe not primarily, but kind of tangentially about how the Packers have started games slowly throughout this year. And one of the things that's come up throughout various corners of Packers media has been the offensive script, how the first 15 plays or so go for the Packers, because it's basically industry standard that you want to be scripting those plays. Those are plays essentially that you're going to be very familiar with because you put them in just for this game. They're, they're formations that you want to emphasize, personnel groups that you really think can give you an advantage against the opposing defenses plays that are right in your wheelhouse that you're the most comfortable with that they you think are going to help you get off to a strong start. It hasn't worked out the way that way for the Packers this year. And it, last week is really the perfect example of how badly it can go. The Packers come out on their first couple of drives with just three or four of the ugliest plays you could ever imagine seeing. You have the first drive, like the third, second or third play of the game last week against the Vikings. An RPO, you've probably seen the video right now, where nobody runs a route. Jordan Love makes what seems like a pretty good pull decision on the RPO, the R portion of the RPO. But by the time he gets to the PO portion, the pass option, nobody else has, has gotten the memo. There's nobody else running a route, and so he's got to just hang on to the ball and try to make something happen, and he does. But unfortunately, Rashid Walker, doing his job on the RPO, ends up illegally downfield because he wasn't supposed to be, or the ball was supposed to be out by that point. But Jordan Love has nobody to throw to, and so it ends up being a terrible play. Well, that's a play that they practiced throughout this week, knowing they were going to run it at this specific time, and nobody had it right. Except for Jordan Love. Well, Love had it right. He did the right thing. He knew what he was supposed to be doing, and he made a read, and Nobody else was there for him to, he made a read to continue the literary analogy. He made a read and nobody was there to complete the sentence. Just nobody was on the same page with the quarterback, which is a problem. Then on the next drive, A.J. Dillon runs for four yards on first down. Second and six, Jordan Love drops back, surveys the field. Nobody open. What do I do when nobody's open? I check it down to Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones out in the right flat, clang. Ball goes off his hands, incomplete, a drop. Okay, that's not on scheme. That's not on preparation. That's just somebody misfiring on a pretty easy play. Okay, you're still in the script, though. Third and six, we got something we're comfortable with. A really good look, the exact look that we've asked them to put in. The Packers go empty. I'm not sure what the exact personnel grouping was, but let's just say it was 11 personnel for the sake of argument. 
Luke Musgrave motions from the left side of the formation to the right side of the formation. You identify what's going on there. You see the guy follows with him. Okay, we're in man-to-man. Jordan Love likes the read here. Probably going to have a pretty good matchup with Luke Musgrave. He's got a, a defensive back on him. You can kind of box him out there. Motion completes. Ball snaps. Away we go. Luke Musgrave runs a good route past the sticks. So far, so good. Jordan Love delivers a good pass. And depending on your inclinations, either the defensive back makes a good play or Luke Musgrave fails to to make the catch, maybe flat out drops it, but he doesn't complete his responsibilities on that play. Well within the scripted portion of your offense and two layup type plays end up with incomplete passes. That can't happen like that. It cannot be like that. How does the Packers opening script work this week against the Rams? Secondly, what happens with the offensive line? We finally saw a change last week. Yash Diamond comes in for Rashid Walker after a particularly brutal play or two from Walker last week. But how permanent is this? The perception on the offensive line has kind of been all over the place, and we've gotten some mixed messages from the Packers, I think, to say the least. I mean, I, I think the Josh Myers thing, this is unrelated to what we're talking about here, but I think it's kind of it helps explain the conversation in consternation over the offensive line. People keep asking the Packers, what's the deal with Josh Myers? And the Packers coaches, Matt LaFleur, Adam Stenovich, Brian Gutekunst, keep looking at people and being like, what are you talking about? Why is everybody so worried about Josh Myers? Well, the reason Josh Myers is a big topic of conversation is back in the offseason, the Packers were like, yeah, he's got to step up. He's got to do a better job. They basically opened up the competition, said they were going to have competition at center, It never really worked out that way, but they put Myers under the microscope. Whether or not you believe he's playing good football or not, I lean more toward the not side of that, though I'm willing to be wrong there. Offensive line is not necessarily my forte. The Packers put him in the microscope. They did this to him. I wonder if we see the same thing with Nyman and Walker. They pull him out last week. Nyman comes in. Nyman gets a little bit banged up. Maybe that's an excuse there. Maybe not. But if they go back to Walker, why? And what happened last week? And why did they think Nyman was the better option there and then not now? How permanent is this switch? We'll see on Sunday. Thirdly, on offense, and finally for my overall look at the at the game here, I want to see what they do tight end usage-wise. Luke Musgrave's slot snaps trended up, against, uh, up again last week. I would like to see a little bit more involvement in the passing game there, though that, like we said, we had that either drop or good play there by the defensive back. Still, he didn't didn't see much in the way of targets in this game. I think just three on Sunday, two catches for nine yards. Not not ideal for a second-round pick who was off to, for, to a pretty strong start earlier this season. How do the Packers use their tight ends? That's something I want to continue to monitor because I think that's kind of a canary in the coal mine sort of position for looking at coaching issues. One of the big things that we've criticized both Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry for over the years is not necessarily putting guys in the best position to succeed. We see it with A.J. Dillon sometimes. The Packers insist on running him either to the outside or out of shotgun from the goal line. It doesn't. It's not a good fit for his skill set, but they keep trying to do it anyway, even though it hasn't been terribly effective. Musgrave has been kind of the same way, I think, over the course of the year. The Packers have tried to make him into this in-line blocking type tight end, the traditional Y, your Mercedes Lewis type tight end. And he just isn't that guy. 
He doesn't really have the skill set. You wonder if he's ever going to be that kind of player. But what he has been at the college level, and I think in the NFL, we've seen him do it fairly successfully, at least in small spurts, is just be a big move tight end. Be a big, tall guy who can run fast and create mismatches that way. Why not use him that way primarily or exclusively? Let's watch and see what happens. It looked like there were more opportunities for him to be open in the, in the passing game, operating more out of the slot on Sunday. We also saw him effective in that capacity against the New Orleans Saints. His other game where he was lined up in the slot, or at least detached from the formation a little bit more, what do we see from Musgrave and the Packers tight ends this week? That's my preseason, quote-unquote, preseason Packers watch list here in Week 9 at the midpoint of the season. What's yours? I'd be interested to see what, what you come up with. For something completely different, I got to talk to somebody with a very similar perspective on how we should be watching the Packers this week. Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Company invited me to join him on this podcast, his podcast this week, uh, to talk a little bit about what are what's going on with the Packers, some of the big storylines of the week, and there were quite a few big storylines. Rashawn Gary signed an extension. Remember that years and years ago? That was once big news this week. Uh, then Rasul Douglas got traded. Then Brian Gutekunst had a bunch to say. We, we talked even a little bit for, about free agency and the draft coming up for next year. I'm going to play you a portion of that conversation uh, in this show. And then you should go check out the Acme Packing Company podcast and their entire feed, which has shows from Justice, uh, a collaborative podcast with the Pack-A-Day crew, uh, the great Unpack podcast with my friend Zach Rappaport, the reporting, the reporting as Eligible podcast with Paul Noonan and Matub and J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. It's a great lineup of podcasts. I think you'd find something you like in that group, even if you don't necessarily consume all of them. Here's a chance to sample a little bit of my conversation with Justice Mosqueda. Go ahead and check out the rest of the podcast in the Acme Packing Company feed for the full, nearly hour-long conversation between myself and Justice. If you wish these episodes went a little bit longer, you're in luck because we had a pretty long conversation uh, with the APC podcast. So here's a listen. Here, take a listen to this. Check it out, and then go check out the full podcast uh, when you're done with this sample. thought a couple interesting things were said by Goot um, in his, you know, post, uh, post-trade deadline uh, presser, you know, the only in-season presser that he has during the year. Um, one of them was that he kind of wanted to be a little bit more of a buyer than a seller. Um, but he said, you know, the the hashtag value didn't end up panning out. I think a lot of that ends up coming back to the running back position, which is something, you know, Jake Laser had reported that the the Browns, the Ravens, and the Packers were still involved in running back conversations. I think some of that has to do with again, um, you know, looking uh, th- these guys are all doing work on the draft right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're sending all their scouts out. They they are beginning to kind of build out those boards. Um on the consensus draft board right now, there is one running back who is <laughs> slated to be picked in the first 75 selections in this upcoming draft. It's Travion Henderson, who is currently dealing with an injury right now. Yeah, um, yeah. So that kind of gives you an idea of what the landscape is going to look like moving forward in terms of the draft picks. I wanted to actually unpack the the idea of Gutekunst being a buyer here with you a little bit because I think – if you're on the optimized draft capital, you know, kind of analytics bandwagon, being a buyer doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense from that perspective. And especially when you start talking about 
you know, being in the, 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 the market for a running back, the initial reaction is, wait a second. And you and I were laughing about this off air. It, it's funny to picture Brian Gutekunst sitting there in, in his office, you know, staring at the roster, seeing how the Packers have played here through two months and going, you know, what is the real problem we got to look at here? It's, it's running back. If we just get it back, we're going to solve everything here. But that's not really what it's about, as you're saying. He's he's looking long term, and it, if you could get somebody who'd be under contract for next year too, possibly, there is a way that it can make sense to be a buyer. Is that kind of what you're getting at when when you look at the whole scope here? Yeah, and I, the other thing too is there has been a lot of talk about running backs being undervalued, right? And I think we're getting to the point where. You know, the hashtag analytics guys might end up starting to agree with that, with how efficient the run game is becoming at the NFL level. A lot of that has been because these running backs are just getting franchise tagged. Um, I don't know how valuable, viable, not valuable. Um, sorry, I kind of mumble mouth a little bit. Um, that is going to be moving forward because there's going to be so many running backs that mm-hmm. are slated to hit this 2024 open market if they don't get tagged, right? So we're talking about Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, uh, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard. Who knows what's going to happen with Dalvin Cook? I don't think he's going to end up resetting the market by any means there, though. Um, Austin not. Eckler. Uh, those are probably the big names. Um, probably not missing anyone, I don't think. Um, I don't think so. Plus, you're talking about potentially Aaron Jones having a $17 million cap hit next season right and what happens with that situation um i kind of understand wanting to secure the position moving forward because of the uncertainty of what is veteran pay going to look like right Mm -hmm. um do we just want to like trade for a guy sign him in this market before the market starts exploding right that's something we saw with like the Devontae deal for example Mm -hmm. right yeah i mean the wide receiver market exploded right when he was becoming a free agent. And they were like, whoa, 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 hold up. Oh, dang, this kind of got out of hand. On top of that, DeAndre Hopkins had his wacky contract a couple of years prior, right. too. And that was supposed to be the, like the starting point for how and, and everything. I, I think even people were looking at that prior to the 2021 season and thinking, well, there's no way like that contract is an outlier. But then in the intervening time, things go bananas and suddenly it doesn't look crazy. It's probably not a great deal, but it, it still resets the market in a way that you have to respond. And by that point, it was, it yeah. seemed like it was too late. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if, you know, the Christian McCaffrey deal is going to be that for the running back market. I know that's the one where it's like, yeah, no one's really willing to pay close to that money. So that's why all these guys are getting tagged. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, just keep an eye out on that. It's, Something you should keep in mind moving forward, because I think if Green Bay is going to spend money in free agency, I wouldn't be surprised if it came, you know, with a running back. Do you have a running back in mind who you would actually pay? So I've got I've got spot track pulled up. Their top six or seven guys are Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Cordero Patterson. I know a longtime favorite of yours, probably not <laughs> in their plans for 2024, I would guess. Gus he's, Edwards. He's been a healthy scratch a couple times for Atlanta. As, I know. And it's, Turner. it's it's a bummer. We're at the end of an era there for a really fun guy. But, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is more than a year younger than Derrick Henry. Is there anybody who, I don't want to say excites you there, but anybody you'd spend money on? Saquon is interesting. 
I mean, you're talking about a guy who's a former number two pick, um, has played behind pretty terrible offensive lines. I think he's more of an every down back than Jones is, but he could still do some of the, for lack of a better term, playmaking type of stuff that Jones mm-hmm. can do on the edge. Um, he can pass, he can catch the ball. I think Pollard and Eckler are probably closer to what Aaron Jones is in terms of like guys who probably need to be on a pitch count, but can give you some high level stuff on the edge. I think Barkley's more of an every down guy. And then, you know, LaFleur wax poetic about what Josh Jacobs can bring to the table. And he has a history with Derrick Henry. He was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee. So I, yeah, I'm not surprised that they're involved in this running back market that's coming up. I mean, a, a lot of them mm-hmm. seem like good fits, right? Yeah. I think Barkley is kind of interesting that you bring him up because the Packers were at least in theory interested in Jonathan Taylor. If you look around the NFL, who's the running back that's probably the most similar to Taylor? I mean, Barkley, there's a lot of overlap there, I think. He's yeah. a big physical back. He's supposed to be explosive. He he does those kind of things. I don't know, maybe you're onto something. Yeah. And we'll we'll see what it's like moving forward. I mean, the the big thing with the Giants that if you want to be a fan of, you know, Saquon coming to Green Bay, um the big thing with the Giants is going to be what do they do with that Daniel Jones contract? Are they going to be bad enough where they're picking a quarterback? Are they going to eat the Daniel Jones deal in terms of the cap hit, you know, the signing bonus? Um, the dead cap. And then if they do trade Daniel Jones away mm-hmm. because he has guaranteed salary remaining on that contract, are they going to have to eat some of that money? Right. And if they're, mm-hmm. they're taking on all that cap space just to get rid of Jones and transition to either, you know, Drake may or Caleb Williams, the only two quarterbacks I think that are like really in the running um, at the tippy top of the draft, at least. Um is there going to be money left to then pay Saquon or tag him for a second time in a row when the tag, you know, you, you add a 20% on top of what it was the previous season. Um, if you're hitting a guy with the second tag. So I, I think those are legitimate conversations to have right now. And I think that's maybe one reason why Goot was looking at these guys and saying like, Hey, maybe we should just go target these guys now instead of waiting. There were a couple other things that Gutekunst mentioned that I think we probably should talk about. Uh, the one I, that... I just want to hit this thing real quick. Uh, sure, absolutely. Before, before we switch out. Zadarius Smith is a good example. Of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the team trying to target a guy at the trade deadline previously, not landing him, and then signing him in free agency, right? Goot had said previously that I think two separate seasons the Packers tried to trade for Zadarius Smith, who at that point was – I don't know if you want to call him a rotational guy. Um, He had a pretty defined role in uh, Baltimore's defense. He was really playing on the interior more than he was playing on the edge, Um, but he was getting a ton of snaps there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they tried to trade for him two previous seasons. Doesn't work out. He hits free agency. The Packers sign him. I could see that type of a situation playing out for a guy like Saquon or Josh Jacobs. Yeah. We'll find out, I guess, in, in March. It'll Those guys are going to go fast when they hit the market, you'd think, just given the names that they are. Yeah. All right. What, what were your points? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Gutekunst had a couple other things. Um, and one that I, I was just watching at a meeting that I was only half paying attention to prior to this. Uh, but you got in a little bit of hot water tweeting out a clip of what was supposed to be Josh Walker or Rashid Walker 
getting smoked on a pass rush. And yeah. you you got some interesting attention on that one. But uh, in the presser this week, Brian Gutekunst went out of his way a couple times to talk about how well he thought the offensive line was playing. Both Josh Myers and Rasheed Walker. I mean, you, you've looked at the tape. What do you think? Josh Myers, assess. Um, I think some of the plays that he gets heat for on game day, once you watch it from, you know, the end zone angle, you're like, oh, that was John Runyon going the wrong direction and stuff like that. Um, I still don't think he's been having a great season. Um, I frankly don't even know if the whole he's playing the best ball of his career thing tracks. Um, I don't know if it's a position that they would be willing to challenge this, this upcoming off season, just based off of how they've talked about him. Walker is an interesting one to me. I've never really been on the Walker bandwagon. I know the pass protection numbers, like the first two starts, I think it is. Um, if the Lions game was week four, then the first two starts in his career, you know, the pass protection numbers were good but he never really seemed to be as consistent of a blocker as mm-hmm. Nyman. I think their hope was just always like, man, if we can get a starting tackle with a sixth or a seventh round pick, um, that would go a long way in terms of developing this team. I think they just kind of pulled the ripcord after that sack that uh, he gave up with chip help from AJ Dillon against a wide nine guy. Um, I think it was second drive against the Vikings. Um, a- after that, I think they were just like, you know what? Let's stop kind of thinking about the future. We got to start winning some ball games. Nyman is the more consistent guy. He's got to play. A big thanks to Justice Mosqueda for having me on his show. Hopefully we did a pretty good job for you there, and hopefully they have us back sometime so we can talk a little bit more Packers with a little bit different group of people. It was a lot of fun, and hopefully we get to do it again. Maybe we'll have to return the favor and have Justice on this show at some point in the future. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.